Hi, my name's Paul Grogan and welcome to episode 51 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out in August 2023. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support me directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now, on with the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, let me know if you can hear me and you can see me okay. And welcome to the live Q&A for August 2023. As always, I'm going to be answering all of the questions that I've been asked in advance on the Board Game Geek Guild. So a big thank you to everybody who's asked me the questions in advance. And then we're going to be throwing over to the live questions. So if you're watching this live and you want to ask me any questions, please start with the word question in capitals. Uh, and then Vicky will transfer those into the document that I'm reading on screen and we'll get to them. It's normally about 50-50, so normally about 45 minutes of the questions that have been asked in advance. Um, and then the rest of them later. I've just noticed my army's being chopped off there. Let me just sort that out a minute. Am I recording locally? I am recording locally. Right, there we go. Um, so yeah, big thank you, as I say, to everybody who's asked questions in advance, and for those of you that don't know, I do have a guild over on Board Game Geek. It is guild number 2258. If you're watching this video and you're not a member of the guild, head on over to Board Game Geek. It's guild number 2258. Vicky will put a link in the chat, uh, and you need to join and subscribe. There isn't much traffic on the channel, so you won't get bombarded with messages, um, but there will be a few things on there. Right, so where are the questions? I've lost them. Alt <laughs> tab, alt tab, alt tab, alt tab. There it is. Right, okay, so the first question is from Scott Nelson. Thank you very much, Scott, for your question. What is your best game that was a free print and play before it was published fully? Uh, and I like questions where the answer is really easy for me to answer. Uh, and the answer to that one is Under Falling Skies. Under Falling Skies was uh, released as a print and play about two years, I think, before it came out. In a nine, it won the nine card contest on BGG for a game that designed that only uses nine cards, um, and it was available as a print and play game. Then when CG decided to pick it up, they added the campaign. They added a whole host of different other stuff to it. So it's not exactly the same game, um, but it was at its core the same game. So yeah, Under Falling Skies uh, is is one of my favourite solo games anyway. So yeah, so um, so that's that's that. Right, next question from Stuart. What is the worst component of a game piece that you've ever played with? Now, this is an interesting question because I get asked so many times, what's your favourite component? Stuart is asking me, what is my worst component or game piece that I've ever played with? And he does give one example of a game that we both enjoy, which is Hamlet. Uh, but unfortunately, the 3D church that came with Hamlet was not a very good component, should we say. <laughs> it didn't really stick together very well. Uh, it obscured the board so you couldn't actually see what was on the other side of it and it just really didn't work at all. Um, so yeah, Ham the Hamlet Church was pretty bad, to be honest, um, but I'm struggling to think of bad ones. Unless you go way, way, way back 30 years to games with really awful components and tiny little chits um, back then, but I, I can't think of anything. So if you're watching this video live or if you're watching this video back afterwards, let me know. Worst component in a game? because I really struggled to think about this this afternoon. And if you put some in the chart, I will see them. Yeah, and uh, that might spur me, might might remind me of some things. Uh, next question is another easy one that I can answer. This is from Chris Dearlove. He says, the most awkward number of players that they find is five. When wanting to play something, oh, when wanting to play something heavier. I missed that bit. 
Maybe this equation isn't as easy as I first thought. Um, so at six players, he usually splits into two threes or a four and a two, which is what I do. Six for me, there are only certain games that play at six and there are only certain games that play well at six. So normally when there are six of us, we normally split into either a four and a two or th two threes because uh, there are some great two-player games that normally don't hit the table that often. Um, but Chris is asking for my recommendations in that case. Now, I, I've got a list here of games that work really well at five-player. But I missed, I didn't see the bit where he said when wanting to play something heavier. So my original suggestions were Concordia, Lancaster, Hansa, Teutonica, all work really well at five. Kalos, either the original game or Kalos 1303, also both work really well at five. As for something heavier, not sure, because you're absolutely right. With five players, that suddenly cuts down the number of games, certainly in my collection, that are playable by about 75%. I would have said 75% of the games in my collection, if not higher, um, are for four players or fewer. So yeah, if, you, if you've got any suggestions, uh, if you want to play something heavier and it's more than four players, let me know. Let me know. Um, next question from Gavin. Which game do you feel best integrates theme and mechanics? Um, now, I've got here in my notes, insert discussion about theme and setting. So let me, I mean, a lot of you have heard me say this before, but for those people uh, who haven't heard me go on about this before, there is a big difference between theme and setting. The setting of a game is basically the setting, the, the, the world that it is set in. So Russian Railroads, for example, is a game about building railroads in Russia, I think, I don't know. Um, Endless Winter is a game about um, the Paleo-Americans sort of trying to find food and survive in the in the Arctic and th things like that. So most games, unless they are abstract games, have a setting. That is a completely different thing to theme. But a lot of people use those two terms interchangeably. I don't. So for me, theme or more specifically thematic integration is where the mechanisms of the game and the things that you do in the game actually fit. So for example, let's just look at the game that I just mentioned, Russian Railroads. Great game. I love Russian Railroads. I probably give it a 9 or a 9.5 out of 10. I don't think it has any theme whatsoever. It is a Euro game. It is a pure Euro game and you are doing Euro game stuff and you are doing things and you're moving things up tracks and you're getting points. Is there any actual theme that comes across in the game? Do you feel like you're building a railroad? No. You feel like you're moving a marker along and improving the track? Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't know much about the construction of railroads, but as far as I know, you don't go along and build one colour track and then go over it with another colour track and then go over that with another colour track. I don't think you do that. Um, so again, great game but I don't find Russian Railroads a thematic game. So I've got I've made a list here. And first of all, lots and lots of games have bits of theme in them. And even a game which is mostly not very thematic, there are certain bits of theme that do come across in the game. And we all have different ideas on what we like in games. So I've written here, some of the ones, um, lots of games from Vladisha Battle. One of my favorite designers, um, for example, um, Dungeon Lords, Dungeon Pets, those games are heavy Euro games. But when you when you actually start looking into Dungeon Lords and the rules of the game and what every rule is in there, almost every rule is in there, 
and it fits thematically. So in Dungeon Lords, for example, if you put a trap in a corridor, then the adventurers will trigger that trap because it is a narrow corridor and they're walking down the corridor and they will trigger the trap. Okay. But if you put a trap in a room, there is a chance that they will not trigger the trap because it's a big room and they might not walk over into that area. So if you put a trap in a room, you have to spend one gold, which represents the fact that you've put a pile of gold near where the trap is. And that's why a lot of Larger's games are really enjoyable to teach and to play, because when you're explaining the rules of the game, people sit in there listening, going, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, so thematic integration is not important for me, which might sound unusual, because I refer back to my former statement about Russian railroads, which I rate very, very highly as a game, but as far as I'm concerned, doesn't have any thematic integration. Um, if we look at Mage Knight, now a lot of people will laugh when I say that Mage Knight is a thematic game. And I'm not saying that all of Mage Knight is a thematic game, but there are so many rules in Mage Knight which are thematic. And that's because Vlaja comes out game design from a thematic aspect. So in Mage Knight, there are two phases. There's the day phase and the night phase. And if you're walking through a desert during the day, it costs you more movement points than if you're walking through at night. Well, that makes sense. And if you're walking through a forest, it costs you more movement points at night than it does during the day. And if you've ever walked through a forest at night, it's not that easy because the trees get in the way. So again, a lot of people will laugh when I say that Mage Knight has a lot of thematic rules in there, but there is, there's a huge amount of thematic rules in there. And that makes explaining the game and understanding the game a lot easier. Um, same with Uwe Rosenberg. Um, now I do find that a lot of Uwe Rosenberg's games are very thematic. Some of them mix, um, a lot of thematic elements with a very abstracty worker placement, go there, get resources kind of thing. But a lot of his games, because they're they're based on a lot of research that he's done, are actually quite thematic. So, for example, the way that the, the feasting works in Feast for Odin is actually quite clever. And you might just think, well, this is just an abstract puzzle where you're taking these little pieces and you're putting them on a thing until you fill it up. Sure, yeah. But the reason why the green beans are square and not uh, a rectangle is the because uh, the Vikings could have any number of green beans. They never got bored with them. So lots of things like that, which if you don't know the game, you're probably thinking, what's Paul on about? But trust me, there's, there's rules in there. Um, Agricola is an interesting one because all of the cards in Agricola, every single one of them sort of works thematically as, as you would. You know, if you've got a fishing rod, you get extra fish when you go fishing. It's fairly simple, but that's a nice way of integrating it. And personally, I find terraforming Mars very thematic because the effect of every single card that you play makes sense. And I know you might just play the card and you go, well, I'm spending 25, I'm gaining three of this and I'm moving this up this track. But when you actually think about what that card represents and what that card is doing, for me, there's a lot, there's a lot of theme in there. Um, but like I said, theme isn't needed whatsoever for a game to be great. Um, but it, it adds a nice little extra bonus. Um, so which game do I feel best integrates theme and mechanics? I can't answer that as to one game. Uh, I've just got lots of ideas of lots of different games that, that I feel personally are very thematic. Next question from Jeff. Any plans to do a list or at least talk about any of the games at Gen Con that you have your eye on? Now, Gen Con was last weekend. 
Jeff asked me this question about three weeks ago, or no, I think about a week ago. But no, uh, Gen Con is one of those conventions that I don't attend uh, anymore. I used to, uh, and I'm, I might go again at some point in the future. But I'm also, if you look back at my channel, I don't really do those lists. Now, those lists get a huge amount of views. They are very popular, and I understand why content creators, uh, you know, top 10 games that we're looking forward to at Gen Con or whatever. I don't generally do those types of videos. Um, I have done them for Essen in the past, but I don't think I've done them for a couple of years. Um, and no, Gen Con, Gen Con sort of passed me by. I'm, I wasn't attending Gen Con, so I wasn't really aware that much about what the games are coming out at Gen Con. And as I say, lots of other content creators do those types of videos. So um, yeah, I've I've not I've not done that. It was it's pretty much completely off the radar for me. Uh, I'll talk later on about Essen this year, um, but I'm also not somebody who actively goes and looks to see what's coming out soon to get excited about it. You know, it it will come out when it comes out. Uh, next question from Antonio: What's a game that feels like summer for you? So this was a, this is a good question. Um, but the more I thought about this, and I was thinking about this afternoon, I've realised that I can't seem to find any associations in my head between a particular game and the time of year. There is no game that I can think of in my collection that feels like summer. Uh, you know, I, I play games at all times of the year, um, don't generally play games outside. There are certain games that we have played outside at certain points when it's been nice weather. Um, but no, there is no, and I don't know if you're the same, let, let me know uh, in the chat or in the comments if you're watching this back afterwards. Is there, is there games that feel like a particular season for you? Uh, or do you have some kind of association with them? Um, but yeah, not, not for me. Uh, next question from Keith. What was the last time that you were in tears of laughter during a game? I'm going to ask Vicky this one. When, when was the last time that I was in tears of laughter during a game? And what game was it? Because I think it's fair to say that I probably wouldn't have been tears, in tears of laughter over a medium weight Euro game. So Keith has said, just one. It's either just one or so clover. Um, if if you remember, write write it in because I can't I can't lip read. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's probably something similar to me. Both of those games uh, do have laugh out loud moments, but I mean, he's asked for specifically for tears of laughter, and even if it wasn't tears of laughter, playing those games with the right group of people always leads to hilarious moments, especially when you get into somebody's psyche and they start explaining to you what they were thinking about when they were linking two words together. Uh, I was laughing a lot during the oh, the fighting fantasy adventures. Yeah, so we did a live stream of the fighting fantasy adventures game, which uh, didn't succeed on Kickstarter. This was, I think it was the 1st of July, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the 1st of July. I did a live stream on my channel where we were playing Martin Wallace's new fighting fantasy adventure game. Now that campaign failed, but they've relaunched on GameFound I think this week, and it has now funded. Um, and there is a playthrough on my channel. And again, I don't know if it was tears of laughter, but we were having a huge amount of fun. So if you're interested in that, not just for the game, but to see us, uh, you know, having having a good laugh, uh, it was the Fighting Fantasy Adventure stream that I did on the 1st of July earlier this year. 
Next question from Swedish Meeple. Uh, he said he'd like to know how many game productions I've been involved in on any level. So, on any level, well, gaming rules has been a thing now for about 10 years. Is it 10 years? I think gaming rules has been a thing for 10 years. Give or so. But before gaming rules was a thing, I was doing various bits of uh, volunteer work in the board game industry. There was probably about 10 or 15 or maybe 20 games that I was involved in in some way um, before gaming rules was formed. As for how many I've been involved in since gaming rules was formed, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to say it's at least 100. It may even be 200. And some of those involvements have been just, you know, covering it on the channel, giving people a bit of feedback or, you know, spending 18 months working on the rulebook for the game. So it's probably about 200 as a very, very rough guess. And uh, he wants to know, looking back, which one, of those, which one of those games are you the happiest to have been a part of making and why? If you'd like to share, I'd be more interested in hearing one of the game projects that you regret being a part of if I have such an experience. Absolutely. There are a number of games over the last 10 years or maybe more, which I have been involved in, which I regret being involved in. Um, and I say regret being involved in, it's just games which I did not enjoy, I had absolutely no interest in, and I was just doing it. And if you go back to um, when I was first starting out with writing rule books and editing rule books, I'm the kind of person that puts 100, 110% into every single thing that I do. And I push myself to provide the best quality work that you can do. Now that that's, you know, that's that's a good thing, surely. But as I've looked back over my life, I have spent blood, sweat and tears and literally, you know, a lot of personal sacrifice, given up a lot of free time, um, working so, so hard on rule books for games that then came out, sold 500 copies and nobody's ever heard of again. Now, that's just how it is that, you know, it's like if you're... Um, if you're a painter and decorator and you get hired to go into this new restaurant and you do all of the painting and decorating and you do a really good job and you make it look gorgeous and then the guy who owns the restaurant says oh yeah we're going to sell it and then it gets turned into a dentist and they take out all of your work you got paid for doing that work but for me i don't just want to get paid to produce something i want to be proud of what i've produced and i want to look at it and go ah oh, here's a thing that i did and if that thing is for a game which just was not very good and just disappeared, then it's kind of like, well, yeah. So there's a lot of games that I look back that I think, not I regret being involved in them because ultimately I, I got paid for doing the job. But I look back and I think, was it worth the amount of extra stress that I put myself under to do that for a game which is not very good and didn't do very well? But on a positive note, if we look back at games that I have been the happiest to be involved in, there are too many to list. There are so, so many to list. Uh, the most recent one is Voidfall. Uh, for those of you that have seen my Games of the Month video log, which I released uh, just a week ago, yeah, last Friday, in fact, um, I talk very highly about Voidfall, which I was um, lucky enough to be asked by Mind Clash Games to produce the video for it. So the how to play video for Voidfall is on the channel now. 
Uh, we're doing a playthrough of it tomorrow night, and I'm doing a solo playthrough later this month. Voidfall, for me, is one of those masterpieces of a game, and I am very happy that Mindclass chose me to create the how-to-play video for that game. But there are many other games that I've been involved in as well. Through the Ages, uh, Mage Knight, um, Frostpunk. Yeah, lots of them. Lots and lots and lots of games that I'm really happy that I was involved in in some way. Next question from Brian. He's, Brian is asking, how was the wedding cake? Oh, sorry. Was the wedding cake as good as Jaffa cake? So the wedding cake was better than Jaffa cake um, because although I like Jaffa cakes, uh, you can't beat uh, you can't beat wedding cake. And I'm actually going to put a picture on screen right now of the wedding cake, um, which I'm hoping I've got the right picture. Let me just check. Yay, I got the right picture. So this is the wedding cake that we had made. Um, it's a local uh, cake maker lives lives in Tiverton. Um, we saw we first found her. Oh no, she was recommended, wasn't she? She was recommended to us. So we had a look at the work that she does, and then we went to we we went to one of these wedding fairs, uh, and we saw what she did, and we thought, yeah, yeah, this is the person we want to make our cake. So we had three layers, which was passion fruit and mango, was the bottom layer, I think. Then there was chocolate or chocolate orange or chocolate orange, and then the top layer was salted caramel. Uh, it didn't all get eaten, so what didn't get eaten is frozen, and we will gradually eat that over the next few years. Um, and yeah, we had a Lego cake topper uh, on top, which I think I've got another picture of. No, no, there. There's the Lego cake topper. Um, so we sent off for this. Um, you can get these online, but the, uh, the, the, the lady who made the cake for us customised it a bit and managed to get the cats on it as well. So um, yeah, there you go. That was That was the cake. Anyway, why was Brian asking about the cake? He said, oh yeah, was it as good as Jaffa cake? Next question, what did I think of the coconut macaroon hobnobs? We've still not had them. They still haven't been opened yet. Um, and can we expect a full gaming rules review video anytime soon? Well, once once I get around to trying them, um, we do try and eat a little healthy. And the problem is, because we're both trying to eat a bit healthy, as soon as it gets opened, that's it our willpower will disappear and they will all be gone within 24 hours. And then we'll both, you know, think, oh dear, we probably shouldn't have done that. Um, the, the best thing to do is for me to probably take them to a games event, take a couple out for us, and then take the rest of them to a games night. Um, yeah. Have we tried McVitie's white chocolate digestives? Brian, K I, I'm sure he's making half of this stuff up. Um, I love white chocolate. Um, but no, I haven't tried them and I didn't even know they existed. Next question is a games related one. This is given the number of very large game boxes these days, for example, the Voidfall Galactic box that I unboxed the other day, can I see available storage space for board games becoming an issue for me in the short to medium term? And if so, how do you think you could mitigate this? So the first, first answer to that is, do I see this becoming an issue for me in the short to medium term? It's been an issue for me for at least two years now. Um, we have run out of space and more and more games keep arriving and there just isn't the space to put them. I've put extra bookshelves in, I've put extra other shelves in, I've got Kallaxes everywhere. Um, so I already have a problem with space. How to mitigate it, and I'm sure many of you watching this will have the same issue, is that you just don't have the space for all of the games. My only um, advice or recommendation is that you have to be more brutal. And I reached the point last year where 
I started giving away good games. So what I did is every year as part of GridCon, which is the board game convention me and Vicky run together, um, I, I gave away 75 of my games and put them into the charity raffle at GridCon. That's what I do. I don't, I don't sell my games um, that I don't want anymore. I generally put them into a charity raffle. And I got rid of 75 of them. Now, of those 75, it was a little bit painful to do because 50 of those games I had no interest in. I wasn't going to play again. And I just, I just wanted them gone. The other 25 were good games. And I thought, well, th these are good games. And a few years ago, I would have never have given up those games because I've got them. They're good games. I might not play them very often, but they're good games. Why would I get rid of a good game? But as I say, something changed last year when I simply just ran out of space and games were being piled up in corners everywhere that I just went, I'm going to have to be more brutal. Um, and after I'd got rid of them, I felt good because the reality is, even though some of them were good games, I am not going to play them again. And I have 750 other games that I could potentially play. So yeah, there just needs to be a cycle. And what I do is whenever I run out of space, I pick, you know, five or six games and move them into the attic. The attic I call tertiary storage. It's basically like death row. Um, and they go in the attic and they sit in the attic for maybe six months to a year. And then I might go up and I might speak to them, ask them how they're doing, check to see if they've got enough food and drink and things like that. Um, and look at them again and then later on that year they might then get moved into the garage where they then get put as part of the charity raffle uh, and, I, and I say goodbye to them um yeah that that's that's my only advice is you've just got to be more brutal and hopefully you'll feel good about it afterwards um because the thing is there are so many games coming out all of the time and there are so many great games coming out all of the time that those great games require certainly for me more attention and that means that i've got over here on one hand i've got this good game that i was going to play but now this great game has come out and i'm thinking why would i now want to play that one when i've got this one and it's a shame because i really liked this game but this one is better so yeah um brian also wants to know where i would draw the line in terms of game box size when would a box become so large that you wouldn't give it room in the house. Well, I don't have a limit on that. If I did have a limit, then Aeon Trespass Odyssey would probably exceed that limit. The box is downstairs, but if you know what I mean, I mean, I did an unboxing of this. The Aeon Trespass Odyssey box is huge, absolutely huge. It's probably about that long. Uh, it's that, it's that wide. It's very, very heavy. And that's only cycles one, two, and three. It's a massive, massive box and it normally lives underneath this table. So it lives underneath this table just under here because that's the only real place it will fit. Um, but I don't have a limit because if I, if, I, if I had a limit and I said, sorry, that box is too big, you're not coming in the house, then I wouldn't have the game. Next question from Jenny. What is my favorite secret, wor secret word from last month's contest? Right, so for those of you that don't know, if you missed last month's live Q&A, every single Q&A I do a contest. And let, let's talk about the contest now. So Vicky's going to put a link in the chat right now, which is the link to this month's contest. And all you need to do is you need to click on that link and you need to fill in all of the details. And 
what I used to do for the last few years is I've I've given you a secret word and I've said you need to put that secret word in there. The idea of that was to make people watch the live Q&A and not just, oh, I've found a link to a contest. I'm going to enter it without actually watching the live Q&A. But over the years, um, every single person put the secret word. Not, not a single person entered the contest without knowing what the, the secret word was. And last month, I couldn't think of a secret word. So what I did is I left it open to you. I said, you put whatever word you want to in there. It doesn't matter. And I'm just going to pick a winner anyway. The winner is not the person with the best secret word. I'm going to pick the winner anyway. So the contest is open right now. If you want to click on the link, you can enter the contest. If you're a patron supporter of mine, you get two entries into the contest. Um, and if you're not a patron supporter, you get one entry into the contest. I did the draw earlier on today and Vari won. So congratulations, Vari. £50 of Games Vouchers is going to be on the way to you. That's £25 from Games Law themselves. So thank you very much to Games Law for supporting the show by giving me £25 a month to give away. And £25 comes from me. Uh, let me know what you spend the money on. Anyway, Jenny is asking, what was my favourite secret word? So I went through the list this morning and I've got a few of them. Uh, Chris Dearlove put, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, and I assume that this is a word, Floxinosinification. Okay, so uh, a few people didn't quite understand the meaning of a secret word. Uh, and Emil put, Paul is an alien from outer space with unusual abilities to travel through time and space. Okay, uh, Gavin put one of my favourite words, which is anti-disestablishmentarianism. Uh, Jason cheated by putting one word, which was, congratulations on your upcoming wedding, Paul and Vicky but he, he removed the spaces, so it, technically it's all one word. Uh, and Johnny put Shamalangma Ding Dong. So they were some of my favourite words from uh, last month's contest. Um, and yeah, feel free to enter the contest. The contest is open now, and it will run until the next live Q&A, which is when we get back from honeymoon. So you've actually got quite a while. It will be about five or six weeks uh, before the next live Q&A. Anyway, moving on to games questions, Jenny is said, when she joined the board game community 13 years ago, Dice Tower was her favourite channel. Now, it's gaming rules. Excellent, thank you, Jenny. Um, she says, over the years, Dice Tower grew. They've lost the interpersonal charm that they once had as a small channel. They've become heavily sponsored, too many contributors, and a lot less engaging. She says, as Paul's Patreon grows to over a thousand, how do I plan to keep my viewers and supporters feeling like they are still important and able to interact with me? Uh, am I willing to pay my supporters cat tax? It's a really good question, Jenny. And I think one of the big differences, there's a few big differences. The first one is gaming rules is pretty much just me. Vicky helps me out with a lot of the admin in the background uh, and things like that. But in terms of writing the script for the videos, filming the videos, editing the videos, creating all of the content, that is pretty much me. Um, we've got Chrissy who helps out with doing a lot of the YouTube admin, creates the timestamps and all of the description on the video and things like that. But predominantly, it, it's down to me. I don't have a team of people doing all of that stuff. Um, I've obviously got my patron supporters that help me out whenever I've got any questions about like what cameras should I buy and things like that. But yeah, the bulk of the work is just me. Um, but when I look at it's interesting because I think it is only polite 
when you get comments on your videos to acknowledge those comments. So I try my best to go through every single comment that I get on all of my videos and at least give them a, a, a you know a thumbs up or a, or a heart or something like that. And I really do make a, a point of whenever anybody leaves a comment on my video where they are trying to get my attention, like they point out a rules mistake that we've made, or they are asking me a question and saying, oh, have you tried the solo game of this? Or, or what, you know, some something where somebody is trying to engage with me on one of my videos in, in a comment. I will always reply. Now, that takes a lot of time. And I can completely understand how some of the bigger channels just don't do that. And there are a number of channels, and again, I don't want to be critical of some other channels here, but there are many other channels, and I'm not talking Dice Tower, I'm talking people who are of a similar size to me, and I've been noticing a growing trend over the last year, year and a half, where they go, they're doing a video like this, and it will be sponsored. Oh, this video is sponsored by, you know, Magic Headphones, buy Magic Headphones at whatever dot... Now, I don't, criti I don't want to criticise these people. They need to make money, and that's fine. And if they want to do that by sponsorships or product placement, that's up to them. For me, that gives me an uncomfortable feeling. If I was to start saying, oh, this video is now sponsored by McVitie's Jaffa Cakes. Now, don't get me wrong. If McVitie's Jaffa Cakes or McVitie's decided to come along and say to me, Paul, we're going to pay you £500 per live Q&A that you do, if you sh if you say that this video is sponsored by them, I'm not going to turn that down, right? But that's not going to happen. <laughs> the, the strange thing is, um, I haven't once in the 10 years that I've been running the channel, have anybody games related reach out to me and offer me any sponsorship. Whereas a lot of these American channels are getting people asking them left, right and centre for advertising opportunities and sponsorship. And I, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a UK thing or my channel is just not big enough, but I don't get those offers. I do occasionally get very strange offers asking. Um, I've had offers of sponsorship for breakfast cereal, shirts, um, some video games and things like that. And I don't want to do that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of going a little bit off topic here, but all of this is all related to how I envisage me, what I do, and, and the channel. And this could actually be a YouTube video, uh, you know, of its very own. My aim with this channel is to continue to do what I do. I am not, I mean, Gaming Rules is a business. Gaming Rules is a limited company and we run it like a business, but we don't run it to try and grow the business. We are not, trying to make as much money as we can. We're not trying to grow this and grow that to try and bring on extra people and grow the channel. We're not trying to become the next Dice Tower. We're not trying to become Shut Up and Sit Down. We're not trying to do anything like that. And that's part of the philosophy of just the way that I run the channel. Now, going back to what you said, how am I going to um, keep that personal touch and I don't ever want to lose that. Um, I don't ever want to lose the personal touch. And the way that I do that is by continuing to, to engage with my audience. And if you're one of my patron supporters and you've got access to the Slack channel, you will know that I spend 
a lot of time on the Slack channel. So if, if you're one of my Patreon supporters at supporter level or higher, you would have received an invite to the Slack channel when you joined. Now, membership of the Slack channel is totally optional. You don't have to join it, but it's a great community of people. And I spend a lot of time on there. And I've been told um, by people who are members of my Slack channel, who are also members of other content creators' Slack channels and Discord channels and things like that, that most other content creators are not even active on their own Slack channels or Discord channels. It's there for the community and it's set up, but the people themselves are not there. Whereas I'm on our Slack channel all the time, every day, for I probably spend at least an hour to an hour and a half every single day, not doing any work, just engaging with my supporters on the Slack channel. And I don't ever want to lose that. Um, so yeah. Right, just going back to the contest again, because apparently a few people are a bit confused. There is no secret word again this time. The secret word this month is exactly what you want it to be. So put put something funny, uh, put your favorite game or make up some word or whatever you want to put as the secret word for the contest this time. It, it was fun last time and that's what we're going to do this time. Right, next. Uh, from Tig which is Vari, so congratulations again, Vari, um, says you recently played Obsession for the first time and included in the game, or maybe it was a promo, she's not sure, was a card with a picture of the game developer's cat. Now, the card can never be played because apparently it requires more cooks than you are allowed. Um, so it's a completely frivolous component that can never actually be used in the game. And the question is, what is the most pointless yet completely endearing or amusing component that you have ever found in a board game? And I've been thinking about this afternoon. I honestly cannot think of any board game that I have that contains a component that you cannot actually use in a game. If, if there is one and you know that I've got it, let me know. I do have some games with frivolous components that are not needed, but that's not to say that you cannot use them. For example, Aeon Trespass Odyssey, whenever you're playing the game, one of the four titans is known as the priority target. And there's a little cardboard counter to indicate this player is the priority target. Now, Aeon Trespass Odyssey was a massively successful Kickstarter that raised millions and millions of pounds. And what they do with these big Kickstarters is they like to throw extra things in just for fun. So what they did is they included an extra miniature, which is about this big which you can use instead of a little cardboard thing. So it, it is useful in the game, which is why it doesn't fit into the category that you've specifically said, um, because you can actually use it if you want to instead of the little bit of cardboard. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't think of anything where I've got a component which cannot actually be used in the game. If you've got some, pop them in the chat, or if you're watching this back afterwards, leave me a comment, let me know. Next question from Kenneth. Kenneth's had three games of Star Wars Rebellion for the first time over the course of three weeks, and he said he can't get enough of it. I am jealous. Each game had a distinct and memorable story that unfolded based on how the game went. And he's asking me what other games, in my opinion, evoke a similar sense of emergent storytelling or emergent narrative that is derived purely from the setting and the mechanisms of the game. In other words, not a campaign driven game where the narrative is given to you 
And it's a great question, Kenneth, because there was actually a discussion about this about two or three weeks ago on the Slack channel with uh, when I was talking about Star Wars Outer Rim. And Scott Hill was asking uh, me and some of my other supporters who really like Star Wars Outer Rim, what is it we like about Star Wars Outer Rim? And Star Wars Outer Rim is a perfect example of this for me. Star Wars Outer Rim is not a narrative-driven game. It is not a campaign game where you are reading huge chunks of narrative and the story is being given to you. And Scott called this emerging, emerging narrative. And every single game of Star Wars Outer Rim that I've played has, it tells a story. And it has memorable moments in it. But that story is not forced on you. That story is just because of the the way that things worked in the game. And I talked about this in my last Games of the Month video log, that I was in a situation where I'd met Han Solo, he was he was on a planet, and I'd met him and I'd gone, all right, you're all right, yeah, you're all right, yeah, all right, yeah, right, and I'd met him. And then later on in the game, I got the Kessel Run job. Now, the Kessel Run job has a list of skills, and if you have those skills, you have a better chance of succeeding at the job. One of those skills was piloting. And I'm like, well, I know a pilot. There's a guy called Han Solo who's hanging out on Tatooine or wherever he was. But the problem is there was a hut patrol in between me and where, where he was. And if you try and move through a patrol and you're not friends with them, then you get stopped. So I was like, right, OK, but I've got this opportunity here that I could do this little job for the jab of the hut and if i do that i'll become friends with him and then i'll be able to get through the patrol so i did that and i did this little job and i became friends with them and we were all good buddies and then i arrived at the planet where han solo was and i picked up his card and it said if you have positive reputation with the huts han solo attacks you and it was just like oh so we had this bit of a fight and he beat me and then i went off to lick my wounds and then i came back afterwards and had another fight with him and this time I beat him, at which point he he agreed to join my crew. And that was a little bit of story that was funny. Um, and yeah, that's what that's what I call emerging narrative. So Star Wars Outer Rim definitely has it. Uh, another game that has it is Mage Knight. Mage Knight, whether you like it or not, there is an emerging story. There is an emerging narrative that it tells a story within the game. Now, Again, you might laugh at me and you might think, Paul's making it up. All you do is you move across the board and you fight monsters. You, you can. But if you actually look deeper into what is it you're doing, it can actually tell a story. Um, if you want to. And that, that all depends on how much you want to get into the game. If you want to just move to a mage tower, fight a monster, find an artifact, and then go to a village and ransack the village. And, and you know, if you want to treat it purely mechanical, you can. But actually... The way that the game plays out, it always ends up telling this, this interesting story about your character and how, how they've evolved. And that isn't anything to do with narrative flavour text on any cards. Next question from Kenneth. <clears throat> Kenneth says, during the board game quiz show, uh, which if you haven't watched it, it's on the channel from a couple of months ago. It is a board game quiz show where I got together with a whole bunch of other content creators. And it was a two hour board game quiz show. And it was great. One of the best things I think I've ever done. Really enjoyed it. Um, but during that quiz show, I recounted a story at Essen where I was talking to the German police officers um, about Gloomhaven and then Isaac Childress turned up. Um, and the question from Kenneth is, what is my favourite, funniest or most interesting board game related story or anecdote? 
Now, I've been gaming for over 40 years and there has been many, many memorable moments over those 40 years. Most of them I cannot remember um, because it's been too long. But there's been lots of highlights, lots of funny things that have happened. But the one with the German police officer is, is probably up there with the best, if not the best one. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to turn this into a question on the guild. Uh, so Chrissy, if you could turn this into a question on the guild. This is a question from Kenneth. And the question is, what is your favourite, funniest or most interesting board game related story or anecdote? And just a quick mention about the guild again. If you're watching this video, I have a guild over on Board Game Geek, guild number 2258. And occasionally there will be discussions on there such as this. And if you've got one or you just want to head on over there in about a few days time and read what other people's board game anecdotes are, um, then go on there. And if I remember any more, then I, I will I will put them on my, there myself. Because as I say, I've got I've got lots over the years. So yeah, Board Game Geek, guild number 2258. There will be a question appearing on there very shortly asking you for what your best board game um, memorable story or game-related story or anecdote is. Right, okay, what's next? Next question from Karen. With the rainy summer here, I uh, wanted to dive into Castle Von Logan. Received it last year. Um, when they looked up the information on the pledge and the rules, found that I was involved. But I haven't mentioned it in my videos from that time. So this was going back to May 2018. Do I still remember what I thought about the game? So May 2018, and I do remember uh, the game, and I'm still in contact with the designer. I'm, I'm friends with them, and we chat now and again about various things, and we meet up at Essen each year. Um, but I did rulebook consultancy on that game. Now, if my name is in the rulebook, then maybe maybe it is. But what happens is I did quite a bit of rulebook consultancy on the game and I started writing the rulebook, but then the project dragged on and I ran out of time or whatever. And I ended up passing that project over to somebody else. So I wasn't involved in it from quite, quite a long time ago. Um, but it was great to see that it finally got funded, it finally got produced. Um, I don't ever remember playing the game, but I do remember it was quite interesting. It was something to do with exploring, but over different time zones and something that you did in one time zone, you were time police or something like that. I can't quite remember exactly what it was. Um, but yeah, I, I helped a bit with the rule book before then passing it on to somebody else. So if you read the rulebook and you think this is a really, really bad rulebook, don't blame me because um, I wasn't really involved in it after that. Um, next question from Mike. What is the biggest rules mistake that you have taught? I've done a few. I've, I've, yeah, I mean, I'm known for being a rules expert, but there are a number of games that I have taught incorrectly over the years. Um, and he said, have you ever found that you've been playing a rule wrong many plays into a game? Yes. So Great Western Trail. The first time I played Great Western Trail, I was taught how to play it by a friend of mine, Richard Klein, and he taught me how to play and I learned the game and I went, wow, this game is fantastic. I absolutely love this game. And then I got my own copy of the game and I went on to play it five other times, teaching lots and lots of my other friends how to play without looking at the rule book because Richard's teach was so good I didn't need to look at the rule book except I'd forgotten the rule that when you um 
establish one of the train stations. In order to take that station marker, you have to place one of your workers as a station master. And I feel terrible because all of the people who I taught how to play that game in the first five times I played it, I taught wrong. And after about three games, we started thinking, wait a minute, these, these station bonus tiles are really powerful, like really, really powerful. And we were like, oh yeah, that's because you're supposed to drop off one of your workers. Um, I remember playing Imperial when that first came out. Um, this is a game by Mac Gertz. It's a Rundle style game. And we were playing it and we played it a few times. And then a friend of mine, Tim, came to stay with us and we played it with him. And we had this rules disagreement about whether you can tax the seas. And I was like, well, you can't tax the seas. And he said, yes, you can. I said, no, you can't. He says, yes, you can. We got the rule book out. Yes, you can. So I'd been playing Imperial wrong all of this time. So yeah, there's been a few rules that I've taught wrong of games. Um, and it, it is a bit embarrassing, but ultimately we are all human. We can't keep all of those rules in our heads uh, at once. Anyway, Mike has got a big long story and I won't read the full story out, but thank you, Mike, for sharing it with me. Uh, and this is on the Guild. If you wanted to read the full story, just go back and find this list of questions. But he basically said that uh, he was once at a gaming group with a group of strangers and they were playing Camel Up and they were playing a rule wrong. And Mike pointed out the fact that they were playing this rule wrong and they didn't seem to care because that's the way they've always played it. So they decided that they're going to carry on playing it with the completely wrong rule. Now, if that was me and somebody pointed out a rule that I was playing wrong, I would be horrified and I would immediately change it to the rule that it should be. Unless, of course, it was a house rule and I know what the rule should be and I've already changed it. But in this particular case, oh, the green screen has crashed. Oh, how, how unusual. When did that go? <laughs> uh, okay, we've got a black screen behind me. That, that is unusual. Uh, let me just see if I can put it back on. No, that, that, that is unusual. There you go. I don't know how that happened because I wasn't pressing anything, but we're back. Uh, that, by the way, in the background, that's the, that's the wedding venue. That's where we got married last week. Um, anyway, so uh, he, Mike then went on to win that game um, because they were playing it completely wrong. But he's asking me if I've been in a similar situation and what would I do? Um, now, thankfully, that situation hasn't happened to me that often. It has happened to me in the past. And I would just want the experience to be over quickly. First of all, if I if the game hadn't started, then I simply wouldn't play the game. So if I knew going into the game that they're going to be playing with a different rule, and I knew that that different rule was going to totally and utterly break the game, I would try to avoid playing that rule. Uh, I would try and avoid playing the game. If I was in the game, I would just have to bite my tongue. And me biting my tongue is not something that I... Somebody's shaking their head over there. Um, yeah, I would be... But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good situation to be in. Anyway, next question from Jenny. Hopefully that's answered the question. Next question from Jenny. And this is another one. And this, is, this was really interesting, Jenny. So thank you for sharing this with me. But Jen, Jenny is interested in uh, my opinion on a bad player. So she said that 
apart from when you're playing a learning game, she always tries to play uh, the game as intended, whether it's worker placement, area control, etc, etc. And a good opponent is respectful of other players' time to give them a worthy game. Now, Jenny says that if she's bad at a game, she will often excuse herself and not join in with experienced players, even if she knows the game well and she enjoys the game. And I found that fascinating. And I was trying to understand why. Um, and she says she personally, she cannot enjoy a game and even feels guilty when she knows that she's the worst player and she's costing her neighbour the chance that a win because of her own bad decisions. What are my thoughts on this? Now, many, many games, it doesn't matter that one player is not very good at the game. But there are certain games where it does. And I'm thinking specifically Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, the, the running joke was you want to sit to the left of the new player because you will then, the new player will be making all of the mistakes and choosing the wrong role at the wrong time. And what they'll do is they'll be like, oh, well, I'm going to choose the craftsman. And you're there going, oh, fantastic. Oh, look, I've produced coffee. Oh, look, I've sold that coffee for nine. That's win. That That's the game win right there. And the other players, so let's say all of the other players are experienced at the game. They're all sitting there going, don't choose the craftsman. If you choose the craftsman, Paul's going to sell the coffee. He's going to get nine money. He's going to win the game. You know, you just don't do that. And when you're an experienced player, you have to make decisions based on, okay, well, if I do this, what's the impact going to be on somebody else? Now, most of the games I have, I don't think have that as a problem. So Jenny, if you were to play, I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking... And find a Euro game, a competitive Euro game, Dead Reckoning, right? I'm just looking across. I've seen Dead Reckoning over there. If we were to play Dead Reckoning together and one player was very, very experienced and one player was not very experienced and you were rubbish at the game, it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't matter. You can still play the game and you can still enjoy the game. It's not going to affect the other players, I don't think, with you doing what you do not like Puerto Rico. Uh, so with certain games, it can be tricky. Now for me, um, I'm always in teaching mode. I can never switch off teaching mode. So in that particular situation, if you were in Puerto Rico and you were about to play the craftsman, I would be like, even if I was gonna benefit from it, I would probably say, are you sure you want to do that? Because if you do, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna sell my coffee for nine. That's gonna give me a massive boost. Then. You know, Angela's gonna you gonna choose the captain, and she's gonna sell all of the corn. She's gonna get loads of points. Then you're gonna do that. That's gonna you're gonna be left with all of these goods. The boats will all be full, and you'll have to throw away everything. So I will always try and help other people and prevent them from making massive game critical mistakes, which not only hurt themselves in the game, but also completely skew the game for other people, even if that other person is me. Anyway, moving on. How are we doing? Six o'clock, we're an hour in and we haven't finished the questions yet. Okay, I was hoping it was gonna be a quick Q&A tonight because I'm feeling pretty awful. Next question from Mario. Can you point out a game experience where it dragged and you didn't like the game, but now you look back and realize that I wasn't in the right mindset 
to play it or the opposite a game where i knew i wasn't going to like it but because of the situation it made it a much better experience um there's been a few of these situations over the years the last time that i played twilight imperium i was really excited about it i set myself down i knew it was going to be an eight to ten hour game we were th we were three hours in and two of that was set up set up and remembering how to play the game was two hours we then started playing and an hour in i went i don't want to play this anymore and because it was my birthday games weekend everybody said okay that's fine we'll put it away and i still feel bad to this day because everybody else wanted to carry on playing and i said i don't want to play it anymore i'm going to drop out but i don't want to mess the game up for everybody else that is my last experience of playing twilight imperium and i will likely never play it again um, I had a similar experience with Space Empires 4X that I really wanted to give it a go. We were an hour in and I went, I do not want to play this game. And I basically said, look, I'm sorry, but I, I, I just cannot. It was totally not what I expected. Um, yeah, so I've, I've quit those games shortly after it started. But I don't think I've been in a situation where I didn't like the game, but then I looked back and realised... Oh, I did like it. I was just in the wrong place at the time. There are definitely games that I've changed my opinion on over the years, um, but that's for other factors. And as for um, the opposite, um, you know, a game that I knew I wasn't going to like, but the situation made it a much better experience. I very, very rarely play games that I don't like. And the last time I played a game that I really didn't like, it, I really didn't like it. It didn't. It didn't matter what the experience was it didn't matter who i was playing it with i just didn't like it at all uh next question from jean paul uh, says his group started playing great western trail second edition which he's really enjoying and he was talking to somebody outside of the group that said you would he, they would never play great western trail without the rails to the north expansion uh is this a similar situation you get with terraforming mars that you would never play with prelude and he's interested to hear my thoughts so Great Western Trail is one of my favourite games. I love the game. I give it a 9 or 9.5 out of 10. I have never played with the Rails to the North expansion, expansion, either in the first edition or the second edition. And that surprises me because I know people that once they've played with Rails to the North, they don't want to play without it. But I've not played any version of Great Western Trail, first or second edition, with the Rails to the North expansion. And for me... The game is still really, really good and perfectly playable. And if you're a diehard fan, you probably think, oh, no, it's much, much better with the Rails to the North expansion. It, it might be. It might be. Whereas Prelude for Terraforming Mars fixes the problem and it gives you a boost at the start. And that's the biggest problem with Terraforming Mars base game is that you start off too slow and you, you don't have the boost uh, that gives you a direction and gives you something to aim for. Uh, so yeah, so I've, I've never played it, but I, I don't think I could compare it. Now, don't get me wrong, I might play Rails to the North at some point in the future and go, oh my god, this is amazing, I would never play without it. The other big difference is I'm assuming that the Rails to the North expansion adds more rules onto an already complex game, whereas Prelude doesn't really add any new rules, it just gives you this head start. Next question from Ruben, what, am I, what games am I looking forward to that will be released at Spiel 2023? So as I mentioned earlier on, I'm, I tend not to look too much. I'm not one of the channels that will be producing videos on the top 10 most anticipated games at Essen 2023. Um, 
also it's still early days there's a lot of well i say still early days Essen is fairly soon but there are some games out on the list which i am very much looking forward to and some of these games i am going to be involved in so kuna horror from cge very much looking forward to that uh footprints from uh chillfox games and a porter games uh, i'm going to be covering that on the channel straight after Essen, but uh, they do really good games. Anything from a Porter Games or Chillfox Games, really like their games. Uh, Vladimir Suhi's new game, the new version of Shipyard. Love Shipyard. So looking forward to the new version of that. And his new new game is Evacuation, which I know very little about, but I'm always interested in his games. And Nucleum from Board and Dice. I will be honest with you now. I am going to be involved in Board. Uh, I am going to be involved in Nucleum. Board and Dice are sponsoring me to create a playthrough video of Nucleum which will be uh, happening sometime around the middle of September. However, if we were to put aside my professional involvement, right now, from everything that I've seen, Nucleum is probably my most anticipated game that's coming out uh, at Essen this year. It looks absolutely fantastic and looks very, very much like my kind of game. Um, so yeah, that would be my number one pick at the moment. Next question from Scott. Any Disney Lorcane products in my future? Um, after the Gen Con mishap, he's glad he's off CCGs. I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in covering Disney Lorcana, even though it would probably get me views. I don't know much about it, but I'm not a big Disney fan as such. And when I say I'm not a big Disney fan, we love the Marvel films and we love Star Wars, which are part of Disney, but I think the Disney Lorcana is more, more the kids' side of Disney, I think. Um, but no, I, I have... No plans to cover Disney Lorcana on the channel whatsoever. Next question from Andy Pelton. Did the wedding sink in? And can we remember anything from the day? So has it sunk in? Well, the weird thing is, me and Vicky have been together for 18 years. So I think what we're feeling, and I'm going to speak for you right now, is that, um, and we both knew this, is that <clears throat> the wedding wouldn't make that much difference in terms of practicalities. Um, obviously we are married now, which is great. <laughs> um, but I think if we'd been together two or three years and got married, it would be a very, very different feeling than the fact that we've been together for 18 years and, and got married. So has it sunk in? Um, I guess, yes. I don't know. I've got the ring. I'm wearing the ring. Of course I'm wearing the ring. Um, can we remember anything from the day? I can remember everything from the day. Right now, it was only five days ago, so I can remember everything. Um, what I will say is all of those people that gave me the advice and said, it will go in a blur, so make sure you enjoy it as much as you can. It didn't go in a blur. Um, it actually went at at the pace that I thought it was going to pace. The only bit that did seem to go quicker was after we'd had the wedding breakfast and then we'd had tea and coffee and then we were outside chatting, suddenly the evening guests started turning up. And I'm like, is it that time already? And because we'd invited about 25 or 30 evening guests and they all turned up gradually, as soon as you start saying hello to one group and you're chatting with them for five minutes, another group arrives and then another group arrives and then another group arrives and then suddenly we got the call that we were cutting the cake and the Kaylee dancing was starting and that was at the point where it then just 
seemed to just rush by. Um, I would have liked that afternoon to have been a couple of hours longer because we didn't get a chance to speak to everybody we wanted to. We didn't get a chance to play any of the garden games or anything like that. Um, mainly because we were a bit tired and we just had, wanted to sit down. Um, but yeah, um, there's there's lots of things that we can remember from the day. Um, and I've shown you a picture of the of the cake. And as I said, the venue was amazing. The venue, uh, Upton Walled, Upton Garden, Upton Barn and Walled Garden. That's it. Google it. Really, really nice place. And it, it's just over there. It literally, we can almost see it from our bedroom window. Um, Adam is in the chat and Adam is asking, how is married life so far? Hint, the answer is perfect. Perfect, Adam. Yeah, perfect. Is that is that right? I like what Luke put in his um, card. We got a card from um, somebody that Vicky used to work with and her husband. And we, we've known them because Vicky's old job you had for 15 years. So you knew Suzanne for 15 years. And Suzanne's husband, uh, Suzanne's husband, Luke, we've met them so many times over the past. Anyway, Luke left. He wasn't at the wedding, um, but he left me a nice little message in, in there. And he basically said, top tip, Vicky's always right or something like that. So it was like, yeah. Um, Andy also wants to know how the mage wedding night cocktail was. So, um, uh, yeah, Rick was wanted to get me a special drink for the wedding. So he was posting messages on Slack to people asking for all sorts of suggestions of what we should put in this drink. Uh, and in the end, he got this drink, which was cider, blackcurrant, raspberry liqueur and something else. Now, bearing in mind, I don't drink much alcohol. I'd had about two hours sleep the night before. And after the wedding, I had to drive 45 minutes to get to Dawlish. I, I was a bit, I, I didn't, I didn't drink all of it, to be honest, because it, it was, it was alcoholic and I don't drink much alcohol. Um, but it was actually quite nice. It was quite strong, um, but it, but it was quite nice. Uh, next question from Andy. Um, when I play a video game, have I played any digital recreations of real pinball tables? I haven't. Um, I looked into this a few years ago. Um, Andy's saying that there's pinball arcade or pinball FX, but I, I haven't, I haven't tried any of the digital pinball table adaptations. Um, and when was the last time I played a real pinball table? It was a long, long time ago. Back in the 80s, let me tell you a little story about my past. Um, back in the 80s, so this would be 1987 to 1988, I was at college doing maths, physics and chemistry, A-levels. I had a part-time job working as a professional GM for a play-by-mail company. Yep, play-by-mail where you would write in your orders on a piece of paper, put them in the post, and they would arrive with me and I would say, it's called Krasimov's World. Google it if you want to know what it is. It's still going now, but it's all computerized now. And after I'd done my shift working for KJC Games, um, I would then go off to the arcades in Cle Cleveland and play some pinball. Uh, Pinbot was my favorite one. If anybody remembers that one, it was like a robot themed one. Pinbot, I think it was called. Next question from Peter. Um, um, I think we're going to have to say, be just because we've still got questions left that have been asked in advance, we're going to have to say no more questions, please. Because Vicky's got, we've got some questions from the live audience. I'm really hungry. <laughs> I'm really hungry and I'm really tired. I didn't sleep well last night at all. Um, so no more questions for now. If you've got questions, save them till next month. Right. Peter is asking, what differentiates a tabletop game from a board game? For me, 
those are two different ways of saying the same thing. I don't know if you've got your own thoughts. Is there a difference for you? I know some people will say a tabletop game means like miniatures or Warhammer or something like that. Um, but for me, tabletop game, board game, they are they are pretty much the same thing. Um, he's also asking what constitutes a pure Euro, what constitutes pure Ameritrash, and what is a hybrid. So for me, there is a there is a scale, and at one end of the scale you have the pure Euro. At the under, other end of the scale, and I use these terms not as a derogatory term, but as a descriptive term, uh, the Ameritrash, which is ironic because the original Games Workshop games from the UK were the most Ameritrash games you can have, so it's it's not meant as a derogatory term. The big difference is, and we, we could spend a whole 10 minutes talking about this, and everybody has their own ideas, but a, a pure Euro is one that has very low output randomness. So in other words, making a decision and then rolling dice or drawing cards to see whether it works or not. That is not a pure Euro. Euro games tend to have a lot more deterministic. So I'm going to place a worker on this space. I am going to spend two wood and I'm going to gain five points. That That is a Euro game. Um, there are lots of Euro mechanisms worker placement and things like that. But that's not to say you can't have those mechanisms in an American style game. Um, the American style games tend to have uh, a higher output randomness and conflict. Um, now you can get, a lot of people say a Euro doesn't have player interaction. That's not true. If a game has low player interaction, it probably is a Euro. But that's not to say that Euro games cannot have player interaction because Hansa Teutonica, Kalos, high levels of player interaction and they are pure Euros, absolutely pure Euros. Um, but you won't generally get direct player versus player conflict uh, in, in those. Um, I, have, I have my own scale of one to 10 with one being Euro and 10 being a merry trash. And Peter, if you were to give me a few games, I would give you a number based on where they are on the scale. So, you know, at the very, very one end of the scale, you would have a game like Concordia, which is probably one of the purest Euros there is. And then at the other end of the scale, you would have a game like Fortress America, which for me was one of the worst games I've ever played, but it was just massively, massively random. Randomness upon randomness upon randomness with massive amounts of player conflict. So, yeah. There's, but most games are a hybrid these days. Most games are in between. And finally, Peter's last question, what constitutes a war game? Um, because he, gets, he says he gets conflicting opinions from others. Some people say that it has to depict actual historical war. Some say it doesn't. Well, to answer that, I personally believe that a war game does not need to be a, a historical war game. You could have a futuristic war game. You could have a you know, a space war game that's set in the future. It's still a war game, but everybody has their own thoughts on what a war game is. For example, Undaunted, the Undaunted series. Is that a war game or is it a deck building card game with a war theme? Every, every, there is no definitive answer to this and it is down to just you, really. You do decide. But if somebody says, oh, it's a war game, I know, I know what you're saying. He's like, well, if they're categorizing it as that, what does that mean? It means different things to different people. 
Next question from Angus. What comic book character did we invite to be the guest of honour at the wedding? We didn't invite any comic book characters. If there was none, which one would you like to invite in hindsight? A comic book character that we would have liked to invite. It, and, I mean, I can't think of one because it wouldn't have really fit with the theme of the wedding. So I don't think there is one, Angus, and I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer, but yeah, nothing is springing to mind. And I, and I have had a think about this this afternoon. There isn't one that I could think of. Um, next question from Bjorn. Uh, he says, publishers send game expansions to us, uh, to me, so that we can cover them on the channel. Uh, most of those games will make it into retail, but sometimes they don't. What game expansion that I've received in the last few weeks will not be available in retail that has the best front cover? So this was the image that I put on screen earlier on. This was a wedding present that we got um, from Czech Games Edition. So this is a copy of the latest expansion for Lost Ruins of Arnak with a special front cover. So what they've done is they got their artist to do a special version of the front cover uh, for me. So inside is is the game. It, it's, the, it's the same expansion as everybody else has got, um, but we've got a personalised front cover. Um, and it was signed on the inside by, by all of the CG team. So uh, yeah, that was a very, very nice gift from them. I have, of course, twisted this to my advantage. I have sent a picture of this to all of my other clients and said, there you go, you need to do one better. Um, so only as a joke, but Board and Dice have already said, okay, challenge accepted. So I don't know what Board and Dice have got up their sleeve. They might, uh, they might, they might do something. But yeah, that was a very, uh, a very nice gift that I got from them. Right, that is the end of all of the questions that I was asked in advance. I am absolutely exhausted, but we have, we have questions, do we? Right. Can you post a link to the contest again? Just quick mention, if you're watching this video either live or any time in the next five weeks, you can enter the contest. There is a contest to win £50 worth of vouchers from Games Law. And I've just noticed that Mindy is in the chat. Mindy, check your messages on Slack. I sent you a message earlier on today. Uh, Mindy won the contest two months ago uh, and Vari won the contest last month. Anyway, all you need to do to win £50 worth of game vouchers is click on the link. It's also in the description of the video. That will take you to a Google form, enter all of your details, and when it asks you for the secret word, just put something funny. Put, put whatever you want as the secret word. Um, and yeah, and if you're a patron supporter, you get double entries into the hat. Um, because this video, as I've mentioned earlier, is, this, this video is not sponsored at all. Uh, it takes me about half a day to prepare for this video and then obviously an hour and a half to do it. Um, and I do that thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. So yeah, big thank you to all of you for supporting me uh, and good luck with the contest. Right, so the questions that have come in since we've been live, how many have we got? Oh my God, we've got loads. Right, I'll try and be quick. Thomas, am I planning any content for Roma Total War the board game? Uh, no, there you go, that, that's it. Uh, I thought it was Rome Total War rather than Roma Total War. And I think it's based on a computer game, but no, I have no plans uh, to cover that. Next, next question from Carolina. What is my favorite Arkham Horror campaign, investigator, card, and why? 
Um, so I can tell you now, I've been having this discussion with people over the last month and I really don't know what my favorite campaign is. I have played Knight of the Zealot, uh, the Dunwich Horror, is it called the Dunwich Horror? Dunwich Legacy, uh, Dunwich Legacy, Path to Carcosa, Forgotten Age, and Edge of the Earth. I have not played the Innsmouth Conspiracy, Circle Undone, or Scarlet Keys. Out of all of the ones that I have played, I really don't know which my favourite one was, because there are so many good things about all of them, but if you are going to force me to pick one, I'm going to say Edge of the Earth. It's the last one that I covered. I thought the story was great. I thought the narrative was brilliant. I thought they did really clever things with it. So I'm going to say Edge of the Earth, but I would happily play all of them again, except for maybe Carcosa. I don't know. There was something about Carcosa. I didn't feel, didn't quite feel it. As for my favourite investigator card or anything, I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't know whether I actually have a favourite one, um, but from the base set, I did like Daisy. Next question from Troy. Uh, when can we expect the Voidfall playthrough? I need it. Troy, Troy, you need to follow me. You need to stalk me a bit more. So first of all, on the guild, guild number 2258, every week I post my plans for the week. So if you are subscribed to my guild on BoardGameGeek, then every week you will get a notification of what my plans are for the week. Also, follow me on Facebook, but Facebook algorithm probably won't show you it anyway. Uh, and my Patreon page. Even if you're not a patron supporter of mine, you can still go to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash gaming rules, and most of the posts on there are available to the public. And every week I post the plans for the week, and you will see when the Voidfall playthrough is. I'll give you a clue. It's seven o'clock tomorrow night, so 25 hours from now, we will be playing Voidfall. Next question from Benjamin. He's just watched my Voidfall and Castles of Burgundy video and learned about the wedding. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, am I playing? Am I planning on making a video showing off one of the solo scenarios? Yes, I absolutely am. Um, I am doing a solo playthrough of Voidfall on, and I can tell you this now, Saturday the 19th of August. Um, I'm going to be doing it with Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming. Um, Mark is actually going to be running the solo mode for me, and I'm going to be playing the game, and Mark is, is going to be handling all of the the admin and things like that. So, um, yeah, we, we've literally just agreed that five minutes before this Q&A started. So, yeah, the solo playthrough of Voidfall will be live on the channel on Saturday, the 19th of August. Um, next question from Monica. How much do you know about the new version of Colosseum and a standalone game set in the same era coming next year? So, all I know about it is that I knew about it about nine months ago. Um, they told me that they were going to be doing it, uh, they told me, they, they showed me a, um, a rough version of the front cover of it. And they said, we've got the rights to do a new version of Colosseum. And yeah, so I, I knew about it a long, long time ago. One of the many secrets that I, that I had to keep that I wasn't able to tell anybody about. Other than that, I don't know anything about it. But now that it's been announced, hopefully we can now talk about it a bit. Next question from Carolina. Do I uh, did I have time to check up the upcoming campaign, the Feast of Hemlock Vale for Arkham? I haven't. Uh, I've only just got Scarlet Keys, and I likely won't get chance to play Scarlet Keys this year. Um, so I am a little bit behind on Arkham. One of my favourite games. I love the game. It's just you know don't have enough time to play all of the games. Uh, Adam is asking best games to take on a honeymoon. 
I showed this in the last live Q&A. So the games that we're taking with us on Honeymoon are some of the puzzle book games. Um, so we've got one from Vicky's parents, which is like a Sherlock Holmes puzzle book. Um, we've got a few other ones, haven't we? But as for actual game games, I don't know whether we're going to be taking any with us. Can you think of any game games that we'll take with us? Maybe Aeon Trespass Odyssey? <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't think we'll be taking actually any game games with us, but we might be taking some uh, some of the game books and things like that. Uh, but anything that's small, really. Next question from Monica. Are there any TikToks or shorts you like to follow gaming or non-gaming? No, I, I, I am not on TikTok. I don't have it installed. I don't follow anybody. Uh, same with Instagram. I, I Instagram actually annoys me and frustrates me a little bit. And the reason why it annoys me and frustrates me is um, because there is one publisher who wrote to me about a year ago. And this is a publisher who used to send me review copies of games, which I would create videos for for free. OK, so I would do playthrough videos of these games that I was sent for free. It didn't cost them anything, but they sent me a copy of the game. And a playthrough video would take me hours. It, for, I'd got to learn the game. I've got to practice the game. Then I've got to do a playthrough video. It's literally hours and hours and hours and hours of work for no money. But I liked the game and I wanted to do the game. And then they wrote to me about a year, year and a half ago. And they said, sorry, Paul, but we are reducing the number of reviewers that we send out games to. And unfortunately, you no longer make the cut. OK, that's fine. I understand that. My channel is not that big, uh, certainly when you compare it to some of the other channels. And I understand that. However, they were prioritising Instagram. And I found out later that there is a board game content creator. I will call them a board game content creator who is only on Instagram. They don't do any videos. They don't go to any clubs. They don't go to any. They're not really that immersed in the board game. I mean, it's a little bit unfair, right? They they are gamers, but what I'm saying is that they are not active. They don't go to conventions. Uh, they just sort of stay, you know, within themselves, and all they do is Instagram. But because they get 500 thumbs up on a picture they made the list and I didn't. And how much effort does it take to take a photo compared to me spending hours and hours and hours doing a playthrough? And that, I don't know, it was, it's just, that that's kind of why it annoys me because it's so shallow. There's no substance to it. It is literally just a picture. But this is also me not understanding the way that the world works of influencers. And I know Instagram is apparently this big thing. And lots of people have told me I should get on Instagram. But I just feel that me posting a picture of a game somewhere compared to me doing a three hour playthrough of a game. I don't know. Anyway, that's that's my thoughts on the sort of short social media. But I think that's what people want these days. Um, Next question. Uh, is there going to be any special events this year at GridCon, says Adam. Um, I, I'm going to say yes. I don't know what, but I think there will be. So there may be another Arkham Horror game. 
Um, there may be a pub quiz happening one night um, was was talked about. So there might be that. So yeah, there's, def there's definitely going to be some things happening at GridCon this year. I just don't know exactly what. Uh, Adam is saying, if you were going to turn a non-narrative board game into an RPG, which one would you choose? Oh, right. Well, a non-narrative board. This is going to be a question for the guild, only because it's already 6.30 and I'm about to faint from lack of food. But it's also a really good question. So, Chrissy, if you could turn this into a question uh, over on the guild. And again, if you want to contribute to this or you're just interested in uh, what other people will say, then the question is, choose, uh, choose a non-narrative board game and turn it into a role-playing game. Which one would you choose? Which, which non-narrative board game would you want to turn into an RPG? And again, I'm looking around the room and I'm thinking lots of these could become RPGs. So yeah, pop the question on the guild. Uh, and if you want to go over there, guild number 2258, that question will appear on the guild probably in the next five or ten minutes. And then if you've got your own ideas, head on over there and pop them in there. And I will have a read of that. Next question from Twilight Scuttle. Love the name, by the way. Are Thor and Loki brothers? Yes, they are. They are absolutely brothers. Um, but we think they have different fathers because they are physically very different. So we think, uh, and apparently that's how it works with cats. Um, but yeah. Do I have plans to cover Great Western Trail New, uh, New Zealand and June Imperium Uprising? I don't have plans to cover them, but I would like to cover them. I do have a good relationship with um, the publishers of Great Western Trail, but I'm not on their list for getting any early copies. But if I ask them nicely, I might get one later, but it wouldn't be a sponsored video. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not on that special list. Uh, and the same with June Imperium Uprising, although I've covered June Imperium quite a lot on the channel. Um, it's very likely that I won't get any early look at that. But Junior Imperium, I love the game. So I would like to cover Junior Imperium at some point. Uh, Junior Imperium Uprising. Next question. What is my favourite part of Voidfall? Oh, my favourite part of Voidfall. Um, I'll tell you what. It, it, it probably has to be the deterministic combat. Only because every other game that does what Voidfall does has got random elements for combat in terms of dice or everything else. And the fact that Voidfall has deterministic combat, which I know a lot of people will hate, um, yeah, that is probably my favourite bit about it. But for Voidfall, it's the whole package. There's so many decision points in the game. There's so much variability, so much replayability, solo modes, cooperative modes, multiple different scenarios, just massive, massive amounts of replayability. And the amount of time and effort that's gone into the design of the game is just fantastic. Favourite Mind Clash game, says Adam, it's got to be Voidfall. It was anachrony, but it is now Voidfall. Voidfall is now my favourite Mind Clash game. Uh, next question from Carolina. Would I agree to do an audiobook narration since I have a great voice to do it? That's a really interesting question. So... About two or three years ago, I did an experiment and I thought, because I, I do listen to audiobooks, and I thought, I maybe I'd like to do an audiobook myself. And I did. I actually recorded chapter one of Fighter Fred. Um, and it took ages because I kept stumbling and it really, really wasn't good enough quality. Now, 
I'm be- I'm a lot better now, and I and I've noticed this in myself. So if you go back to my streams from two or three years ago, where I am reading narrative elements, I was stumbling all of the time. Now I'm a lot better than I used to be. I've learned how to read. I don't know. I've just got I've just got more accustomed to it and more practice at reading things. However, one thing I cannot do is accents. And every audiobook that I've ever listened to or read has different accents for the different people. And I cannot do accents. So if it was just a pure, like written in the first person, I would probably be able to do it. Um, but yeah, if it involves speaking as different characters, I can't, I can't do that. Uh, Monica's asking, can I name one game that I would like to play a huge version of it where you are one of the player pieces? I mean, I've always wanted to play a large version of Galaxy Trucker. And for anybody who went to Gen Con and anybody who played a large version of Galaxy Trucker at Gen Con, that was my idea about six years ago. And I've been trying to convince CGE to do a large version of Galaxy Trucker at Gen Con for about six years. And now they finally have done it and it looked great. But that was my idea. That was my suggestion. Um, but name a game where I would like to play a huge version of where I am one of the player pieces like those huge chessboards. I can't think of one. And that's probably because my brain stopped working. Um, Ask, ask on the ask on the Slack channel later on, Monica. Post post it on the random channel. Tag me in. We'll see how it goes. Adam is asking how are the plans and preparations for GridCon going. They're not. We had to put everything to do with GridCon on hold because of the wedding. But now the wedding's all finished. We're going back to GridCon preparations. We've got a lot to do still, um, and we haven't we haven't really started it yet. Uh, what would be my top three games to have a remastered all singing and dancing deluxe version to be released? Another good question, Adam, but I'm afraid at this time of the q and I'm going to struggle to answer that. Top three games to have a remastered all singing, all dancing deluxe version to be released. I mean, let's just quickly go to Board Game Geek and go through my favourite games, because these days a lot of games are getting, I mean, you know, the Castles of Burgundy deluxe version, I would have never have thought of saying, oh yeah, Castles of Burgundy needs a nice big deluxe version. Um, but as it turns out, it, it has one <laughs> and it's really good. Um, but there's a lot of games coming out that are already deluxe. So I'm going to say Roads and Boats. It would be like massively, massively expensive. But if Roads and Boats had a, a really big deluxe version, uh, that would be great. Um, what else have we got? Looking through my list of games. Um, trying to, because he's asked for, Adam wants top three. And I've given you one of them. I, the problem is I'm now looking through a list of 800 games. Uh, give me some suggestions. Suggestions of games. I mean, if I just sort these by my rating, then we'll just go to my favourite games. Um, so Mage Knight, Through the Ages. I think Mage Knight and Through the Ages are... I don't think they need super deluxe versions of them. Um, uh, Madeira is getting one, hopefully, at some point. 
<laughs> uh, games like Netrunner and Ashes, I don't think they need one. Kalos 1303, I don't think Kalos 1303 needs one. Maracaibo is a great game. Maybe a super deluxe version of Maracaibo. But again, my, my thing with super deluxe versions is why? When it's the same game, why do I want to pay three or four times the cost for a game that I've already got? So, I, yeah, I'm not sure about um, these super deluxe versions. Again, Spirit Island. Spirit Island's a great game, but does it need a super deluxe version? Yeah, I'm not sure. So, sorry on that, but I've uh, I've not fully answered your question. Uh, Favourite game that burns your brain, but you still love it? Again, lots of them. But my my capacity for complex games has dropped over the last couple of years. So that what that means is that there are certain games, if you'd have asked me this question three years ago, it would probably be something like On Mars. But now, as time's gone on and I've got older and my tastes have slightly changed, uh, a game like On Mars, for me, whilst I still respect the game as being very good, it's actually now a bit too much for me in a way that I wouldn't actually enjoy it um, because it's just a bit too complex that it would fry my brain and not in a good way. Um, so yeah, my, my, my complexity threshold for what I find actually enjoyable is a little bit lower than it used to be a few years ago. Um, but there are a few. There are a few games which I love which burn my brain. Again, I'll mention Voidfall again, because that's all of the hot topic at the moment. Um, Voidfall is definitely a brain burner, definitely a lot to think about, but the game is so enjoyable to play and it just flows so well, I think. Um, now that we've both experienced a Kaylee, would we do it again? Yes, I would I would definitely do Kaylee dancing again, if given the opportunity. Uh, I was just concerned by the impact that it had um, on my knees. Um, yeah. I was I was in quite a lot of pain afterwards because I, I have issues with my knees that I didn't think the issues with my, my with my knees were as bad as they actually were. But um, the impact of the Kaylee dancing on a hard floor, even for just 40 minutes. Yeah, yeah, was was not good. So, yeah, that was that was a bit of a problem. Um, how can you range the cost of a complete teaching video, says Scott? Uh, he's seen 500 to 2000 books for it depends on the company publisher and the depth of the game. Basically, Scott, um, it's generally based on how long the end video is and how long it takes me to create. Um, usually those two things are about the same. So the cost of a publisher to pay me to create a 20 minute video would generally be approximately one third of the cost of a 60 minute video. Um, to give you an idea, the Voidfall video took me in total about 95 hours to create. And that is with everything. So that is writing the script, getting the script checked, doing all of the photography, doing all of the filming, doing all of the editing, doing all of the corrections. The whole process, I think, was about 90 to 95 hours of work. Um, whereas Marrakesh was probably about 40 to 45 hours of work. Voidfall did take me longer than normal just because it was a more complex game. I had to be more concerned by the structure. And I actually wrote one script, uh, which was then scrapped. And I don't charge them for that time. I probably spent about four or five hours writing one version of a script, which I then wasn't happy with. 
I checked with some other people and they went, yeah, I don't think that's the best way to teach the game. So I went, right, scrap that. Absolutely. And there was four or five hours work just, just written off. But it's generally based on the length of the video. Next question from Monica. Does the artwork sometimes steer you away from a game, even though people say that it is very good? Um, I would still play a game that has bad artwork and artwork is subjective. So there are certain games where I don't like the artwork, but I would still play the game anyway, because ultimately good artwork and bad artwork don't change the game itself. But I do like nice artwork. I get more enjoyment out of playing a game that looks nice, um, but I would still play a game that had artwork that I didn't enjoy. Uh, next question from Dimitri. Which Ameritrash game would you like to be presented in as the main boss? And which Euro-style game would you like to be presented in as the main Automa opponent? Um, oh, so which Ameritrash game would I like to be presented in as the main boss? Um, I mean, I don't know whether I want to be a main boss in a game. <laughs> I think it would be a bit unusual. Um, but if I was created as like a promo, for example, um, then it, it would have to be Aeon Trespass Odyssey, just because at the moment I am playing that game every week. We've been playing it for two months. We're absolutely immersed in the game completely. And if for a bit of fun, the publisher was to create a boss that you could fight in that game that would be me, then that would be it. And Aeon Trespass Odyssey is very much on the Merry Trash side of things because it does have lots of dice rolling, lots of output randomness and things like that. And again, I don't use that as a derogatory term because we're loving the game. Uh, which Euro style game would I like to be presented in as the main Automa opponent? Well, the thing is, all, a lot of these games have Automas in already. So let's say through the ages, let's say that somebody was to create, and I think somebody has, but let's say there was a, an official solo mode for through the ages it would be nice if I was the, the Automa opponent in that. Next question from Jim. Have I played any of the expansions for Escape the Dark Sector solo? Any worth grabbing if you like the base game? I have not played Escape the Dark Sector, but, and if Rick is watching, he will be smiling at this moment um, because Rick owns the fantasy version of Escape the uh, Dark Sector, which I think is Escape the Dark Castle. And it is one of the worst gaming experiences that I've ever had. I really, really did not like that game at all. Um, and speaking of bad artwork, and I know some people like it, but I think the artwork in that game is definitely not my style. I do not like the artwork in those games at all. And my one experience of playing Escape the Dark Castle was, yeah, I did not like that game at all. So therefore, I've not played Escape the Dark Sector, because I assume it is just the same, but in space. So I can't answer that question, whether any of the expansions are worth picking up. Uh, next question from Sean. Will I stream some more Journeys in Middle-Earth in future? I, I mean, I'd love to, but it is just a case of there isn't, it, there isn't enough time uh, for me to do everything that I want to do. I am actually in the middle of playing the uh, one of the campaigns again, but I'm playing it with Vicky and two friends of ours, and we either play downstairs in the dining room or we play around it there. So it's not being streamed, but I am actually playing through uh, a campaign of it at the moment. I mean, yeah, I'd love to. If, if I had all of the time in the world, I would definitely like to play through another campaign of Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth. But as I say, there just 
there isn't enough time in the day for me to do everything that I want to do. And it's really weird because I don't have another job. This is my job. I am nine to five. Well, I'm definitely not nine to five, but I am Monday to Friday. No, I'm definitely not Monday to Friday. Um, this is a full-time thing for me. My, my full-time job is creating board game videos and there are other content creators out there who have full-time jobs who are doing more videos than I am. And I'm like, how? <laughs> it's because I spend 95 hours making a Voidfall video. Um, that's that's one of the reasons why. Um, but also, like I mentioned earlier on, I will spend a lot of time with my Patreon supporters every day, just, just chatting to them on the Slack channel. And I don't want to lose that. Uh, even if that means me losing out on work or not producing enough content, uh, I think I produce enough content, but I want to maintain that personal relationship that I have. Right, the final question for today, and thank you very much for everybody for all of these questions. Following up on my answer regarding add-ons for Great Western Trail, are there any games where you enjoy the core game so much that you don't feel the need to get any add-ons simply because the core game is good enough? Right, well, the first game that comes to mind is Marvel Champions. Marvel Champions, the core set of Marvel Champions, I believe is a great set to start with. You've got five different heroes, you've got three different bosses, you've got all sorts of different deck construction. And one thing that I hear from people about Marvel Champions is, oh, I don't want to get Marvel Champions because it's going to cost me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Well, you buy the core set, it's not like the core set is just a, a teaser. The core set is perfectly playable and you can get many, many hours of enjoyment, lots and lots of deck building options. And if you want to then get into it and spend hundreds of pounds on booster packs or a thousand pound on booster packs, fine. But the core game of that works works fine. Um, I also feel the same with Arkham Horror. I believe that the starter set for Arkham Horror is a great starter set. Um, and, and lots of other games with, lot, card games with mini expansion. Aeon's um, End, for example. Aeon's End, you could just have the base set of Aeon's End. You, you don't need all of the million expansion sets. You could just play with the base set. You've got so much, so much replayability and so much variability with that. In terms of board games, it's interesting because I've played Dune Imperium a number of times without any of the expansions. It's a great game. I would probably always play with the first expansion as long as people have played before, but you don't need the first expansion. The, this is a common... I think mistake people say. They say you need the first expansion for Dune Imperium because the base game is rubbish. No, the base game of Dune Imperium is very, very good. It is better with the expansion, yes, but there is nothing wrong with the base game. I also feel the same about Lost Ruins of Arnak. The base game of Lost Ruins of Arnak is an exceptionally good game. The expansion makes it better. Yes, I'm not I'm not saying it doesn't, but the base game is is good. Um that's not to say that I wouldn't get the expansions for those games. Same with Terraforming Mars. Although Terraforming Mars with Prelude is a better game. Uh, other than that, I'm trying to think. I'm looking around the room again and I'm trying to find games where I would be happy to play the base game without any expansions. And there's lots of them. There is lots of them. Sometimes you get expansion bloat. Um, and it just ends up making the game overly complex. And then you get that one player who says, let's play with all the expansions, even though you've never, you know, half of the people at the table have never played the game before. And then that one person says, oh, let's put in all of the expansions. 
yeah, you don't need it. Um, I remember going back to what I, uh, Dungeon Lords. Dungeon Lords has an expansion, Dark Alleys. It really doesn't need an expansion. Um, the base game, or is it Festival Season? Festival Season. Um, it really doesn't need an expansion. Dungeon Lords is already a heavy Euro game. Dungeon Pets, also a heavy Euro game. That had an expansion as well. Um, so I would say Dungeon Lords and Dungeon Pets, I would actually just play the base game of those. I, I think the expansion adds too much complexity that if you're really used to the game and you've played it a lot of times, then sure. But otherwise, I would give it a miss. We're all done. Right, just a couple of things before we disappear. First of all, as I say, this video is not sponsored in any way. All of the advertising revenue from this video goes to charity, as it always does every month. So I don't make any money out of this video. And I'm only able to do that thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. So if you are one of my Patreon supporters, a huge thank you for making what I do possible and for supporting me in this venture. Uh, and if you're not one of my Patreon supporters, but you wanted to become one of my Patreon supporters, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Also, the giveaway contest, £50 worth of game vouchers from Gameslaw. £25 of those vouchers comes from Gameslaw themselves, and £25 of those vouchers comes from me. So not only am I not making any money out of this video, it's actually costing me £25 because I'm going to be giving some vouchers away. But I'm more than happy to do that. Um, and yeah, click on the link in the contest. Enter whatever secret word you want to enter. Let me know if you are a patron supporter or not, because if you're a patron supporter, you get two entries into the hat. And I will be doing the draw at the start of the next live Q&A. So you've got about five or six weeks um, to do it. Can I go for a lie down now? Is dinner ready? Dinner's nearly ready. What are we having? Beef curry? Beef curry. Very, very nice. Um, right, we're all done. So I'll speak to some of you later on on the Slack channel, and I will see some of you tomorrow night for the Voidfall playthrough. Tomorrow night, seven o'clock, right here, 23 hours from now, we're going to be doing a three-player game of Voidfall. I am slightly excited about it because it is a fantastic game, and that will be tomorrow. So until next time, take care. I'll see you all soon.